So it is the beginning of Lent. And today, because it's the beginning of Lent, a season where we devote ourselves to seek the face of the Lord and to yield to Him. As that was a note from Ash Wednesday, is we yield to the Lord, who's the mighty God. And it's hard for us to do that. And so often the Lord will bring trials to us to make us aware of our need. Or He'll allow trials, or He'll work through our challenges in order to make us aware that we need Him and it's good for us to yield to Him. So we are going to take a one-week pause on our walk through John's Gospel. We'll pick that up next week. But we do this in order to look closely at prayer. As I trust many of you are, are desiring to lean into prayer now. During Epiphany a year ago, we, we looked at model prayers in the Scriptures. You might remember that. But today, I want to encourage you that you can pray. Almost as simply as that, you can pray. You can pray effectively. And you can stand with someone and pray for them. That is, prayer is not for a special ops team. It's not, it's not for a uniquely set-apart group of people, a spiritual elite. Prayer is for every Christian. It's for everyone who knows the Lord. Since I began following the Lord Jesus, the, there have been several occasions where I sought prayer during a church service like this. And typically it's during the communion time or around there and, or, or after the service. And in each of those cases, I was responding to a nudge from the Lord. It, it's hard to describe what that is. Uh, it may be a prick of conscience, maybe a pull, sort of drawing. But in each of those cases, uh, a lay person, a normal, unordained, non-collar-wearing Christian prayed for me. And... Uh, I actually, I don't remember what any of them prayed because, in fact, their precise words mattered very little because God had set it in motion. The nudge, the prick of conscience. God was working. And so those people, I can remember their faces, they just facilitated a conversation between me and the Lord. In one case, I was delivered from several bondages very early in my walk of faith. Uh, and in another case, I accepted God's call to lead within the church. But I needed those people. I needed those unimpressive, not theologically sophisticated, normal. One guy was a plumber. Normal Christians. To help me respond to God. And the truth is, again, everyone who knows the Lord can pray. You can pray for yourself, and you can pray for other people. So to get a hold of this, uh, we need to see prayer in the Word of God. We need to see how it works in the Word. So first, let's look at Luke 7. If you have your scriptures, Luke 7, the first 10 verses 
If you don't have the scripture, you know the story probably. Jesus comes to Capernaum where he's well known because he has resided there for some time during his ministry. And there's a Roman centurion in that town who had a trusted servant, probably some kind of steward within his household, a trusted slave who was sick and was on the verge of dying. Now, we can be very sure this centurion had heard what Jesus had been doing over the last months. And when he learned that oh, Jesus is back in town, Jesus had been away, as he traveled and ministered, he's back in town, the centurion called some of the elders of the town. The scripture says the, Jewish, the elders of the Jews, that's the only people that lives there. It's the elders of the town. And he calls them to speak to Jesus on his behalf. So they come to Jesus, you know, and they plead with him. Uh, this, he, would you come heal this man's servant? He's, he is worthy to have you do this. Even though he's a horrible, despicable Roman, he, he deserves to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. He's worthy to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built us our synagogue. Haven't you prayed like that? I, I certainly have. Sadly, regularly. Lord, this is what that appeal is. Lord, heal so-and-so. Or do, do good for this one because he deserves this good. Or she deserves to have you do this. She's really good. He's such a kind guy. So you ought to do it. Quid pro quo. The centurion built the synagogue. The Johnsons are big givers. The Nordstrom family... No, these people aren't in our church. <laughs> the Nordstrom family, they pray for missionaries. They send money regularly. They deserve to have you do this for them. Do you see? They deserve your favor. We left that at the Reformation. At least that's what we tell ourselves. Do we? Don't we know the truth that no one is good, not one? And all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our wickedness. Rather than responding to our supposed goodness, God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. It is interesting that these Jewish leaders, that they believe Jesus can help. That is interesting. They believe that he can heal the centurion's servant. But they place the first cause this is the, the efficient cause, the, the thing that makes it work, that makes Jesus' healing work, isn't Jesus. 
It's the law of just desserts. That's what they're appealing to here. This man is good. He deserves good. A just God will see that it works out. This prophet Jesus is an instrument of the law of just desserts. Unfortunately, the law of just desserts means all of us will enter into judgment. All of us are condemned according to the law of just desserts. Let us not pray that way. If you pray that way, stop. I will try also to stop. (laughs) So back to the events. Jesus goes with them. He follows the leading of the Spirit. And the Spirit says, this is right. Ignore what they're saying. This is right. So before he can even get to the house, the centurion sends friends to say, whatever you may have heard, I am not worthy. Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. I understand authority. I say to one, go, and he goes to another, come, and he comes, and my servant, do this, and he does it. This is a prayer. The centurion here, he knows about authority. He recognizes authority. He's under it. He has it. He can see that Jesus has authority. He's not just an instrument. He holds it. He wears it. It comes from him. He can speak and it will be. He's no magician. He's no sorcerer. Those those were there. They were there in a plenty. I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Just say the word and let my servant be healed. What you say will be. What a difference from how those Elders responded. Because when the word of God, Jesus, when he is in the picture, then this man knows he has no worthiness. All the people in the town are saying, you are a good man. You are worthy to have this. We will speak on your behalf. The word gets in the picture and he knows I don't have, whatever you think I have, I don't have that. I am not deserving. And so he prays Jesus, just say the word. To pray, it literally means to ask. That's what it means, ask or plea. It it used to be used more commonly, colloquially, um, like I I could pray Stephen to do something. This means you ask. Then look at the response of Jesus. I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. This centurion, he has rightly directed his hope. Rightly directed. And that hope is in alignment with the will of God. 
So with far less evidence than we have, with far less assurances than we've been given, far less reason for hope that this is going to work out, the centurion stretches out in faith to Jesus. It is a rightly directed plea. And this is the essence of faith. This gets us back to the conversation with the kids. Faith is a reach of trust. I know that I've shared this before um, a couple times, the origin of the word faith, but it's helpful to be reminded. Faith in English. Fides in Latin. Pistis in Greek, the word we have here. They all derive from a much older common root in the Indo-European language uh, that all of those languages came from. The word petis. It describes a posture of hands stretched out. And when it's used originally, in, the, in its context, it has to do typically with children. Small children stretching hands to a parent. It's a relational concept between one who is in need and knows their need and one who can help and has the power to help. I remember when uh, Ruth Ann, was, she was small. This, it, it cemented this picture uh, for me of faith. We, we'd moved here. She was toddling around. She was on the sidewalk, as we did of an evening, and probably two years old. And then there were, there were moments that she's, she's, she's stretching out in her confidence, and she would realize suddenly, I'm alone. And she'd look, and she'd see, oh, no, I'm not alone. Comforted just by the presence. And then on one of those occasions, without warning, one of those really loud motorcycles, you know them, right by this two-year-old. She, she, and she turns and stretches the hands up. She believed that I cared for her security, that I cared about her. She didn't know it rationally. Rationality is actually not an essential element of faith. She knew I cared for her security, that I was able to save her and that I would do it. Jesus says that's what the centurion had. This man with all kinds of authority, he knew Jesus could help when he was helpless. And he knew he was helpless. And he knew that Jesus was worthy, and he was not. So he prayed. Jesus doesn't even need to say a word. The centurion did just say the word. There's no... Apparently, he didn't say a word. It was God's will that the servant be healed. Jesus moved his will, and he was healed. Let's look at another familiar instance of faithful prayer. It happened earlier in Capernaum. This is Luke 5, verses 17 and following. Another very familiar. Jesus was teaching inside a house. There was a crowd. There were so many people. They, they were they were packed into a house. People coming to be healed, coming to listen to Jesus. And some guys brought a man on a bed because he was paralyzed. 
They couldn't get inside because of the crowd. So they went up on the roof, and these houses were built with flat roofs. The, the roof was essentially a room, an outdoor room. They went on top, and they made a hole in it. <laughs> they tore the tiles off, and they lowered their friend down. Can you imagine what a sight? Like if you were there, and the, the, the ceiling starts to open up, and there's dust, dirt falling. Jesus is covered with dirt. Look at verse 20. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Just look at that. Like the centurion, it's another prayer. There's a prayer enacted here. No one can help but Jesus. They know that so well. You can bet those guys who tore the roof off have tried everything for their friend. They have sought doctors. They've sought, I, I hope they hadn't sought sorcerers. There were uh, permitted magicians, a kind of doctor, Jewish healers. But the power of God is here and they know it. They've heard it. They believe in Jesus. They believe in Jesus. They believe in him. And so it's helpless abandonment. What would lead you to tear the roof off of someone else's house? That is desperate abandonment when there is power to heal. And they plead with the word of God made flesh if we can just get our guy in front of Jesus, if we can just present our guy in front of the power of God, the power of God can heal him. Isn't this what we ought to do? It's faith. It's faith. There's one who can help, who has the power, one who cares for our good more more, get this, more than we care for our good. These are children. They're lifting up their hands in desperate need and they're crying out, help. Jesus sees their faith rightly directed. This is rightly directed faith and he responds but what he gives this man is far better than healing. It's far better than what they're asking. Jesus sees the faith and he heals the man's soul. He heals the everlasting part of him. That body, that's going to decay. It's going to fall away. You would not be able to walk at some point anyway. He heals his soul. Your sins are forgiven you. He wanted to walk on earth. That's a good desire. He wanted to walk on earth, but he got an eternity walking. An eternity walking with a renewed body, an eternity walking with God himself. Because he came to God, he received God forever. It, it is remarkable. I mean, he gets... 
The healing of this man's body was also part of God's plan. And he, he is healed in body here. But what he got first was worth far more. It was part of God's plan that Jesus be glorified on that occasion through this healing. But what the man got is what the man's soul needed. What happens here is one of the most amazing things about prayer, and I think it's largely the thing that we overlook. We come to God asking for all sorts of things. We come wanting all sorts of things, things to change about our circumstances, our temporary, earthly situation. We are unhappy very often. How many, just, how many times were you unhappy this week? You keep a log. It will distress you. But the important thing about prayer is the move towards God. It's the admission of helplessness. It's the stretch of the hands to one who can help. It's faith. Prayer is an expression of faith. And that is the most important thing about it. Because that's where we move into the spiritual. That's where we move from matter and just wanting a change of our circumstances and happiness in our flesh to who we actually are, to the eternal part of us. All sorts of situations bring us to that helplessness. And when we ask for help, when we pray, when we really pray, He heals our souls. When we pray according to who He is, That he's the Lord with all knowledge and power and authority and goodness, with goodwill towards us, then what we're doing is we are surrendering our rights. To pray in faith is to surrender your rights over the Lord. Our assumption that we know best. To move out of Quid pro quo. I am good. Let me present to you some goodness so that you'll do this thing to make me happy. To pray is to ask God's judgment on something. Let me explain what I mean by that. To ask his evaluation of it, his judgment. Consider when we say something like, will you do this thing? Will you change this thing? Will you help me or will you help her or will you help him? If we're really asking with sincerity, what we're saying is, God, I think this is best. And that's fine. I think this is best. Is it? If so, act. That's a real prayer. That's a sincere prayer of faith. If it's best, he will do it, and he will do it in the right time. He will bring things together when they should be together. But he may answer, if you say, here's the thing that I want, I think it's best, is it? If so, act. He may answer, you are wrong. Gently. He may not give the request. Because there are things we don't know. 
Obviously, we are so finite. There are so many things we don't know and that we can't know. Things that wouldn't be best, that wouldn't be right, that wouldn't fit with his eternal plan, that wouldn't perhaps fit with the salvation of your neighbor or your son or your friend. But to ask the Almighty something in faith is to yield to him. Yield to him the rights. Yield to his judgment. And in any and all circumstances, that is good for us. To yield to God is good for us. It's that that heals us. Yielding to God heals us. It restores our soul. It restores our fallen nature. Because it's the fallen nature that refuses to surrender to God right from the garden. I don't want your ways. I want my ways. To yield is to restore. To yield is to be renewed in the image of God that we were made in. It's what Jesus meant when he said, everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, it will be opened. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And I think when he's saying that, he's saying not just those who ask him for his Holy Spirit. How much more will he give his Spirit to those who just ask him, who ask, seek, knock, who seek his face, who yield? So, often, like that paralytic, we come seeking redress for a problem. And as we pray, we are healed by him. I hope you see there are no special qualifications for this. There's no qualification to bring requests to God. None of these people were able to clean themselves up. None of them were able to be sufficiently worthy, sufficiently good. If anything, it was the opposite. They were conscious of their, their need. But you have far more. You have far more than they had. You have knowledge that Jesus Christ is seated on the throne right now. having destroyed the power of death and having given you access to him constantly by his Holy Spirit. The guarantee of access, anytime. This centurion didn't have that. The paralytic and his friends, they had to tear a roof off. We have no such effort to make. We have access always, constantly. Hebrews 10, 19 to 22. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed 
with pure water. Sprinkled clean. He has made us worthy. He's made us worthy to enter his presence. And our, our confidence to talk to him doesn't come from our own deeds. doesn't come from building a synagogue or giving tithes or from our goodness. It comes from his mercy. He's merciful. He opened the access. He gave us clean hearts. Grace upon grace. Gift upon gift. And so now we can draw near to him and we can ask anything trusting that he'll give the good answer the good one which may not be the affirmative but he'll give the good answer in the right time and through the asking we will be getting closer to him when he's close things change when he is close, we change. And that's for all of us. All of us can pray. All of us can pray. I want to encourage you during this season to pray. Take 40 days. Pray regularly for someone. There's also, we, we heard a passage about persistence. Pray regularly for someone and, or about something and let the Lord first, he'll reshape your prayer. This is usually how it works. You start out asking in one way. And as you are drawing close to him, he changes you because he's healing you. And he will pull the selfish elements out and he'll leave the, the right prayer. He's aligning your will with his. And over the 40 days, your prayer will change and you will find yourself asking something else. Alignment with his will. But trust him and you will also, you will find the prayers being answered and you'll find your heart changed. I also want to encourage you to serve as prayer ministers. Like I said at the start, it is not a special elite core that goes to the back to pray for people. It's not an especially spiritual group that can pray effectively. I could look at in each of you in the face and say, you can pray effectively. I don't care your age. You can pray effectively. Effective prayer comes from normal Christians who know God and trust that he's working. So if, if someone... If someone comes with sincerity asking for prayer, you can be confident God is working. People don't regularly, people are proud. You're proud. I'm proud. It's a challenge for us. It's a challenge to our will to ask for prayer. So if we're doing it, God's working. If you're praying for someone, trust that. And it's his work, not yours. You don't have to get the words just right. You don't have to say, this isn't magic. Prayer is not magic. Again, we get, we get the law of just desserts entering that. We think, if I say the right prayer, 
then God is bound to respond. That's not faith. God is working. You are just facilitating a conversation. His work depends on his will, not our words. So, this Lenten season, learn to pray. And you learn to pray by doing it. Amen. Father, we are all children in this. And it is so encouraging that you delight in that. You delight in a faith that comes to you like a child with confident expectation of help. So Lord, would you, would you chip away at the cynicism that has touched all of us it's, it's touched all of us. The skepticism, the unbelief. Lord, for our good and your glory, please give us faith. Help us to pray. Amen.